1: Welcome back to the French Rookie Podcast with me, Tim Graves, and ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. Benji is too nervously biting his fingernails ahead of France's Six Nations defining clash with Ireland this weekend. So we've got an Irishman in to replace him. Forgive us, Benji. We'll get him on shortly, but you're our Frenchman today, Johnny, although you've been just about everywhere else apart from France in the last few days. So how's your weekend?
3: It was very good. A Frenchman whose French passport took some serious heat over the weekend between... Thursday and Monday, I think I was on six or seven flights um, from Beeritz to Edinburgh. I did the under-20s game for the Calcutta Cup on the Friday night, then did, again, both of my teams won this weekend, so I'm very happy. Did the Scotland game, the Calcutta game on Saturday, some corporate hospitality, then I was in Paris on Sunday for Premier Sports for Beuritz knocking over La Rochelle which was some game as well and then yesterday I was in London for an event with Match and Guinness so it's been a fairly epic weekend um, numerous COVID tests too many flights more passenger locator forms than I care to look at ever again and way too many pints of Guinness and not enough sleep but an amazing weekend of rugby absolutely loved it it was great to catch up with mates and all teammates as well um, so no really good weekend
1: and you're better at admin than other Frenchmen did you make all your flights? no <laughs> Oh,
3: nice. I had a shocker. So, after the Calcutta fixture, I was meant to get on 8.30 to get to Paris. The testing center was meant to open at 7 to get a COVID test before you fly, a fit, a fit to fly, but they'd had a COVID outbreak. So, I missed that flight. I had to go somewhere else, get another COVID test. And instead of trying, flying straight from Edinburgh to Charles de Gaulle and then to the Canal Plus buildings, I had to wait for five hours, fly to Frankfurt. Flight fly to, from Frankfurt to Charles de Gaulle and made the game in Paris but with like an hour to go. So um, it wasn't the easiest. It wasn't my fault that I missed it, but logistic, like I mentioned, there were six or seven flights this weekend, but we made it in the end. So the show must go on, as they say,
1: Tim. I joked, but I didn't think one of the countries you'd been to would be Germany. Neither did I.
3: I told you that passport took some serious heat, but especially not having a French passport, it saved me because you can travel around Europe and people don't ask too many questions and you're not getting stamps on your British passport anymore. So... French passport coming in very handy. And
1: a COVID outbreak at the COVID testing centre. You couldn't
3: make it up. Mate, you could not make it up. But, you know, everyone's fallible. They have to get it as well at some point. But yes, yeah, it's just one of those things. Wasn't happy at that time. I think i had five hours sleep when I figured out what had happened um, and then spent basically the entire day in an airport. But, you know,
1: all good. And the results of the rugby made you a happy man. And you've mentioned the campus yes. Cup about three times already. So we will come on to that later, I promise. I'll let you later. talk about it. And we will look ahead to round two as well but let's just have a bit of a chat about France's win over Italy first. Mm -hmm. Were you impressed by the fact that Italy were a bit more competitive than in recent years, or was it the conditions that were a leveller?
3: The the conditions certainly helped. Um, I guess France's prep wouldn't have helped either. Covid, what they've been through, players not being able to train, not being fit, Fabian Galtier not being able to be at the stadium, taking phone calls from Rafi Benes and relaying messages. It wasn't easy for the French side, but Italy were fired up. They were good, their performance. I think everybody, the wider public, will have enjoyed watching that performance because they were fired up, they were aggressive. Captain, fantastic. They found a kid that is a new captain who is dynamic and gets people going and he, he chucks himself about it like he's he's combative. So uh, Captain was fantastic. And again, I think defensively, they showed a bit more. They were more compact. And France had to work really hard to break them down, which maybe hasn't been the case against other nations over the past couple of seasons. Um, but France were made to work. Italy were industrious. They were disciplined. They scrapped for everything and they made it really tough for France. So no, much, much better performance. Again, when you step back, it's a bonus point win for France. So job done, five points, because most people are probably going to take five points against Italy. Um, but they were made to work hard. Italy were much better performance-wise than they have been, certainly.
1: And they got the tries in the end, but a massive 21 visits to the opposition, 22 for France. So is that... Sort of lack of a clinical edge worrying, or is it just a bit of rust?
3: It's weird again when you compare it with other performances from different teams, like Scotland when England's 22 for seven seconds. And it's, it's ridiculous statistically how you can win different games, but for France, they'll be happy that they were able to break Italy down and make entries into their 22. Then it's just how clinical they are once they get there. And that, again, that might be prep, that might be rust, might be the fact that Fabian's not there, messages aren't getting on properly, but the fact that they've done the hard yards, I mean, the individual qualities, the breaking of the line, the power that we saw from individuals to be able to break the line, create something from nothing time and time after again, was almost what the other teams like England and Scotland were lacking, that lack of power. So France have got that under their bonnet. And they had it in spades, and that was why they made so many entries. And then, to be fair, Italy actually defended very, very well. Their sort of goal-line goal line, goal line defence and the 10-metre defence was excellent. So the positive for France is, look, we made loads of busts, we got into the right areas of the field, but we have to be more clinical. And if they had, there could have been an extra 20, 30 points out there to be, to be taken. But they'll certainly need to be more clinical uh, this weekend.
1: We will come on to next week very shortly, but discipline as well. It was very good for France in last year's Six Nations, 14 penalties given away against Italy. Presumably that's something they'll be looking at this week because Ireland will put them under a lot of pressure.
3: Yeah, and a different type of pressure. You look at the way Ireland played against Wales, the ability to control possession like that, manipulate defences, create space, the scramble that France are going to have to get through and reset and get up again and pick and choose where they compete at the breakdown. They're going to have to be super smart, uh, squeaky, squeaky clean, everything they do. So yes they're going to have to take a step forward discipline wise but it's a different proposition this weekend was wet it was scrappy it was ball on the deck it was you know flinging yourself about and a little bit erratic at times i think it depends on the conditions but again the way ireland play it should be much more controlled this weekend so you're looking for a controlled discipline performance and d by france if they're going to compete because again ireland were imperious they were so good on ball the way they generate space the way they create overlaps they get through multiple, their forwards generate and tip on ball between each other, out the back. Um, It is really hard to get set and defend against these boys. So yes, France, absolutely, their performance levels is going to have to ship up a year defensively and in discipline.
1: And in terms of changes, both personnel and tactically, what are we going to see from France, do you think?
3: I don't think much. I think injury enforced would be, I think, Jonathan Dante's out this week. You've got Birdo, who's been brought into the wider squad, but... I don't think she's gonna step up and play. You got Moefana who came off the bench, Cameo, and actually set up one of the tries, who was excellent. So I think you'll probably see Fiku slip into twelve and Moefana start thirteen. Vakatawa potentially somebody who I would like to see brought back into the squad, even though his club form hasn't been outstanding he's still definitely worth a shout at this level he's just such a good athlete and such good talent but more generally i think people performed extremely well in the positions you look at serial Bay, you look at marchon you look at aldrich up front and the back line as well it functioned relatively well in hard conditions and that 23 now is looking more and more set again tinkering Thibaut flamand's come back into the squad would he shift in back in somewhere would cameron walkie move back out back out to the back row I don't know. But I think across the board, they functioned, their, their strum, scrum was strong, line-out time they were strong, Walkie was excellent again in the air, and they carried extremely well. So I, I think it'd be a case of tinkering and probably injury-enforced as opposed to strategic. And again, that being said, so, so Fabian's never really been that much of a changing your composition for your opposition. It's more been thinking about yourself and, and dominate what you want to do on the ball. So I don't think you'll be knee-jerking or be scared of what he sees. He'll just look to compete and do other things better and try and beat Ireland in par at their own game. So really interesting to see what he does, but I think largely they'll stick with the same 23.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
2: Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Well, let's bring our guest in now then and look ahead to France's massive clash with Ireland in round two. Munster and Ireland winger and former Wrestling 92 star Simon Zebo joins us. How are you doing?
4: Great, thank you. Thanks for having me, lads.
1: We will come on to chatting about the game in the weekend in a minute. But you're back home in Munster now after a few years at Racing. You miss in Paris
4: a little bit, a little bit. I always, I always miss uh, the Parisian lifestyle. It was, um, it was a lot of fun, um, and we met, like obviously the the lads over at Racing. It was quite an international group, so. Um, we all really, really got on well together. Um, so there's plenty of friends still over there that I, that I miss a bit. But no, very happy to be home in Ireland and, and back with some old teammates that I knew, some new and have family around again. So it, um, we really loved our time over. But yeah, it was the right
3: time. And one of those teammates that you got on particularly well with, we miss the smiles of you both being on the field together. There's constant support on social media for white chocolate. Have you been in touch with Finn <laughs> to congratulate him for his big win at the weekend?
4: I did, I did. Oh yeah, we had some great times, and he's he's one of my best friends. Um, but uh, I was actually talking to him today. Uh, he was in good form. He was just after picking up a Rolls Royce off a dealership in, in Edinburgh, so he was a happy man. But no, no, he was um, he was in good form. I'd miss him quite a bit. Uh, the daily chats and the the crack on and off the pitch, of he um he's he's playing well as always and, and ripping it up and we saw that firsthand at the weekend, so it's fantastic.
3: He it was awesome. I actually Jack from afar, but he was getting onto the team bus outside Murrayfield, one man boom box, like basically dancing by himself, like working his way to the bus. And I was like, he's gonna be having a good time, a great night.
1: And what did he say to you when you said you were going home at the end of last season? Was he devastated? Yeah, he, he wasn't
4: he wasn't too happy, I don't <laughs> think, deep down, yeah. Um yeah, because because we only lived like right around the corner from each other. Um, so we'd be hanging out every day. And you know, we sometimes we'd head into training together and things like that. And we'd always hang out at training, after training, things. So we had a very we struck up a really strong relationship really quick. And yeah, he just he turned into one of my best, best friends over there. Um he's actually a groomsman at my wedding next year. So um shows how, how quickly and how strongly we got on. So yeah, we have plenty catch-up stuff, plenty FaceTimes to, to to stay in touch. And he's coming back over to Ireland now at the end of March. Is it for the for the big showdown in Dublin? So he's going to stay on a couple of days after that, and and uh, hopefully be a bit disappointed. Try and get a few points into him to cheer him up after a last Ireland. But we'll see how it goes.
1: Just afterwards or beforehand as well?
4: Probably beforehand. Not <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> you never know. You never know.
1: And Finn aside, how difficult a decision was it to move home? Was it an easy one, or were there other offers that? were on the table as well
4: yeah it definitely wasn't easy um like potentially staying on would have been ideal i suppose if if my kids were probably of a different age and you know uh, my grandmother at the time was very old she's passed away now but being home with family would have been important to me um yeah, it, I suppose the, like the age profile of my kids would have made the decision easier going over at the start of the three years and then coming back a little bit easier, you know, just because my son fitted in straight into senior infants, my daughter was into junior infants, and now we have another on the way, so, you know, we're going to have a lot of support around family, just live around the corner here, so I made the decision a little bit easier. And always there was that grow or that love I had for, for Munster, you know, that was my uh, childhood club growing up and it was always a dream to play for Munster as well as it was to go and move to France in, in the beginning. So to be able to have done France and, and represent my, my boyhood club um, has just been a dream come true. So I'm happy to be back home now.
3: It's not too late to go the other way. You're still a young man, so you could still do a couple of years at Munster and you could finish in France.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potentially, potentially. I'm still only 31, so I still have a couple of years
1: in me, yeah. A smart man. Keep your options open. And (laughs) another smart man who we had on the show a few weeks back, Mike Prendergast, your former coach at Racing. Mm -hmm. You've been putting a few good words in for him at Munster? He, He told us no, he wasn't going back, but you never know. yeah.
4: Big time, yeah. I've I've been chatting to whoever and anybody possible to try and <laughs> uh, to try and bring him home. But like I, none of the players seem to know who, who the management are for next season. So when it was announced, obviously that we were losing Steve and, and Johan and, and JP, it was obviously a lot of disappointment around the the organisation. But you know you have to look to the future as well, and and Mike being a monster man is obviously uh Probably that same grower that I love that I would have had being abroad in Paris as well. And we used to always talk about Munster, how Munster getting on, you know, as you would like when you come from that from that area. So um, I'd imagine, you know, one day he would love to do it. But, you know, whether it's now or in a few years time, nobody knows. But, you know, I've definitely put in a good word because I know just how good he is and mm-hmm. and how you know, how great he would be for the for one, monster's attack, and two, you know, for a lot of the young players that we have a monster too, to, you know, to have a coach like him with his experience, who's been and seen everything and worked with the best players in the world, the best backs in the world, and seeing how attacks function and don't function, you know, I think he'd be an incredible addition. So, um, given all that, hopefully, uh, yeah, it, it could happen somewhere sooner rather than later, I suppose.
3: And personally, obviously, family help must be amazing. Um, how have you enjoyed generally getting back into rugby at Munster? You missed a few games, but you've overtaken the late great Axel Foley's try scoring record, a massive hero of mine. I used to love playing against that boy, um, and that must have been a special feeling for you as well.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. It was nice when I uh, because when just before I left to go to racing. Um, I had equalled his record. So I never I, I didn't know at the time I was going to come back and play on Monster again. So it was nice to you know sit at the at the podium, I suppose, side by side with him, you know, a hero of mine as well. So um now having been back home and things like that to, to overtaken his record was was is, was special. Yeah, I meant a lot because he I had such a good relationship with him. He had been my coach since you know under under 20s and you know through the ranks of Munster and 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 so forth and so on. So um, yeah, it was nice. It was a nice record to have, but certainly something I'll hold closely with me. Meant a lot.
1: And Johnny mentioned you missed a few games this season, but internationally you were in the Ireland squad for the Autumn Nations Series, and then didn't quite make it for the Six Nations. So, is Andy Farrell been in touch? Was he said?
4: <laughs> yeah, 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 he has actually. Yeah, uh, but sure, like I had no, I had no, uh, like I, I couldn't have, like I didn't expect, I suppose, to 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 be in the Six Nations squad because. You know i came back initially and i played a couple of games at the start of the season they went well and i got included in the in the the november series which was great you know it'd been four years since i'd been involved in an irish squad so he brought me in and, and that was a great show of faith it was really nice of him um you know and uh you know, he said to me in camp that he wanted me to get up to speed with international rugby again and around with the, the the players and, you know, getting used to the whole systems again because four years is a long time playing in French rugby. There's certain parts of your game that probably wouldn't... You know, uh, or no, like you, you'd need to just get up to speed, I suppose. You couldn't tr- get thrown into the deep end after playing two games or starting two games with monsters since having not been involved for four years. So he said he wanted to get me up to speed for the Six Nations, etc. and see if I could put my best hand forward then. But obviously after after the November camp, having trained for three or four weeks, With the Irish lads, we went to South Africa and then I ended up getting COVID and having to isolate there for two weeks, having to isolate then for another two weeks when we came back. So we missed both the European games after coming home or getting out of isolation. And then um, I got a red card against Ulster, so I, I didn't actually play any rugby since before November series. So just the the way the world is I suppose these days you get unlucky bounce of a ball or an unlucky break and off the pitch and you're, you're three or four months without having touched the rugby ball so thankfully I was able to get on the pitch against Wasps and um you know uh, I enjoyed myself out there as European rugby big game and um, obviously it wasn't enough minutes under my belt to get included in the Six Nations so it is what it is and I'll put my best hand forward now uh, going forward for the summer tour
3: and you must be itching to get there you said like get back up to speed but for like people that watch top 14 obviously were week in week out you were very much up to speed like you were phenomenal to watch amongst that backline that was absolutely flying ran by Finn and most things were finished off by you currently that being said the five years almost you said four I think it's nearly five years that you last played a test you must now be itching to get back out there
4: oh dying to yeah I I really really want to wear the green jersey again and um, sing around the beard again these things you know once you go away and you don't have them like you really really appreciate how much you miss them I suppose and any chance you get to represent your country is huge but being being home now and being able to put my hand in the mix and play well for Munster, score tries, play well on the big big days That's what I love to do. So I'll give, I'll try and put myself in the very best position to to represent my country again because it means a lot to me.
1: And obviously you're going to be kind to Andy Farrell because you're itching for him to pick you again. But
4: (laughs) You might let me know actually when his birthday is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you were fairly outspoken about the, the sort of approach and the tactics under Joe Smith. So with Andy Farrell coming in and obviously you were in camp in autumn just talk us through the sort of change that you've seen from the inside and also watching on from the outside it, it does seem like there's been a shift in sort of style I guess yeah
4: it's a different style I suppose different coach and I won't bash on Joe or anything it's just a different outlook in the game and a different coach um, fa- uh, Andy is he's real attack-minded you know he wants players to go out and express themselves he wants the wingers to get their hands on the ball as much as possible and score tries and you know it, the atmosphere around camps a lot more relaxed it's um the players are you know really really enjoying each other's company and and that would be as uh, as important as playing well or training well on the pitches enjoying each other's company off the pitch and that's that's just you know you can see there's a different strength in the bond in the players up there you know which wouldn't have been there in the past when I was there anyway that's something I noticed and certainly coming back is and um, how happy all the players are and I think Peter O'Malley said it recently in an interview the November series that passed was his most enjoyable time in an Irish jersey you know so that says a lot about I think about Faz and the culture he's um incorporated up there and, and everybody's happy and itching to, to represent their country and
3: there's huge comfort
4: competition for places which only bodes well for, for the Irish rugby team so it's,
3: it's great. And you looked down. you talked about that Autumn Nation series the results toppling the All Blacks smashing Argentina and Japan a bonus point win now against Wales absolutely huge there's not many people that do that to Wales in, in recent times what did you make of that performance and how do you think Ireland are going to approach this game this weekend against France? Is it going to be a different type of strategy or are they just going to set their stall out and try and play the same way?
4: I'd imagine they'll have a few different, there'll be a few different tactics. Certainly, you know, the French would be very different to the Welsh, you know. So I'm sure the attack and, and both attack and defence would be shaped just slightly different. A few tweaks here and there. You know, the French team would be hugely powerful up front. They're going to be a lot... Um they're they're going to be very tough to stop with when um, on the game line, you know, when those forward pack get rolling and the French crowd get behind them. So they they might slow it down, they might speed it up at different times, you know. They they'll have a few tricks up their sleeve to negate um, the French power game, I'd imagine. And yeah, I think I think the, the the culture that Faz, as I was touching on earlier, has brought into the Irish team, is it's an attack-minded thing. So they'd be going out not to in the past, maybe you would have gone over to France trying not to lose the game. But here, you're certainly be going out to win the game, you know, like France will attack this game and 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 the players and Johnny will, will lead that as well. We saw how well their attack clicked against Wales. So, yeah, I think they'll, they'll look to improve in a, a few areas, but yeah, they'll be looking for uh, an improved version of what they went uh, on against Wales.
1: And you mentioned Johnny. I don't know if you've seen it this week, but Philippe Santandre saying... Ireland might be better off without Johnny Sex and Ross Byrne's better anyway. What did you make of that?
4: <laughs> people love to hate Johnny. Like, you know, it's, uh, I find it quite funny. I love when people hate him because I like him so much. It's, uh, it's gas. He just has that kind of head on him that, you know, people just seem to like the, have a bite off but johnny's johnny's probably playing some of the best rugby he's ever played throughout his career you know and he's been a previous World player of the year he's multiple champions cup winners, six nations grand slam etc list goes on and on and to say at his age now that he's playing some of the best rugby in his career shows a lot about the man um, and the player so um i think that would be uh, i think the french would prefer if johnny wasn't playing uh, <laughs> that's okay <what, laughs> that's what they'd say um so yeah, I I would imagine Johnny would be raring to go and um he'll be leading our attack and and pulling the strings. And that's dangerous for the French team if, if we're clicking and Johnny's pulling the strings well.
3: No, he was class again at the weekend. He's almost Irish rugby's Tom Brady. Like he's just so exactly. good. At, it keeps getting but and age doesn't really affect the way he plays. He's not like a bulldozing it doesn't matter he's just rugby IQ he's nouse nice and he's so good he's been around the block I wanted to ask you like specifics so going into this game Sexton pulling strings you're playing against guys that you know very well Gil will be in the midfield possibly Moafana with him if not Virumi potentially comes back in Vakatawa Knowing these guys inside out, having played with them and against them in top 14, in the mindset now of Johnny Sexton, that backline, how would you look to try and exploit them? Like, what weaknesses could you see or how would you look to expose them? There's not many weaknesses, to be honest.
4: Um, you know, those boys can mix it with anybody in the world. And I just definitely going off what I know of Gale and Verme anyway, if those two boys were in the centre. There's no weaknesses there, to be honest at all. I suppose the only thing that you could do, I suppose would be to probably keep the tempo and the pace of the game so high that they don't have time to get into their rhythm or their groove or, you know, have their two or three second chats in between phase plays. You know, these things come for a lot at international rugby and especially those two boys. If they, if they have the time to start chilling out and chatting and saying, oh no, we'll pick this inside shoulder or that outside shoulder, you're in trouble, like, you know, so keeping the pace of the game really high keeping them breathing hard and heavy so they don't have to do too much talking and get their rhythm in, I think would be uh, important. And, you know, at this level, you could say the same about our two boys in the centre. You, you just want to make the conditions so tough that it's just harder to do the simple things well. And um, yeah, I think uh, putting a high pace on the ball will be uh, important against this French team.
1: And that's something that Ireland did particularly well at the weekend, wasn't it? I think about 70% of their rucks were under three seconds. It's that battle of the breakdown, Some massive bodies in the front five on both sides mm. the speed of ball is going to be key to who wins this isn't it?
4: Big time yeah um, the front five will have a huge role to play you see some of the size size of the boys over in the French team like you know that hooker Marchand's an animal Antonio's an animal you know you've Taufey Fanu on the bench you've Waki you've all these guys who are just so big and so strong and powerful and you know their last metre into contact you know it's pretty hard to stop um, so we have plenty of big ball carriers in our team, probably not the same size, but plenty of really big ball carriers. So it'll be really interesting to see who who dominates the speed of the rock because that'll probably leave Intermac or Johnny have that extra second in attack to pull the strings they want to pull. So, yeah, it'll be a, a, a ferocious battle, I'd imagine. And The French crowd will probably play their part as well. Um, You know, when they get their tails up, (laughs) that that atmosphere is pretty electric. So it'll be a very, very tough game. But just going on last week, the French team didn't look as impressive as they have done over the past couple of months. So I'd uh, certainly be favouring Ireland.
3: I was going to ask you, I'll say pretend you're neutral, pretend you're Scottish and you're just mates with Finn. Who would you back? But clearly, you think clearly. Ireland are favourites, even in Paris. you Think back to the ding dongs. Johnny having to pull out a drop goal in extra time, like mm. that was against a French side that really wasn't firing. This one, we saw an autumn, much higher level, much better organisation, and more difficult to break down. But you still think Ireland clear favourites?
4: Not clear favourites. I wouldn't like. I, I you know you can't disrespect them. You know you know the the, the French have some unbelievable firepower when they get their tails up and that purple patch comes you know you're just trying it's damage limitation really you know so um, but I think that team that when Johnny got that drop goal I, I think the team where you've gone out now is better better like m- more well equipped and um, better attack uh, better defense better players probably you know it's it's every, all the players seem to be firing at such a high level and yeah uh, it doesn't seem to, to matter the opposition that you put out in front of this Irish team at the moment. They're they're looking really, really sharp. And even though I know this French team have a lot of flair and youth and DuPont can win a game on his own, I just think that we have the slight edge, even in the Stade de France. I see it a five to t- five eight point win for Ireland.
1: And it's also this Ireland team, it, it seems so settled at the moment from the autumn to last week against Wales, and we know that France had a few issues in their build-up to the tournament with their preparations. A lot of people uh, going down with COVID and coming into camp a little bit late, and you mentioned earlier that you had those issues at Munster as well. So timing-wise, this could be a pretty good opportunity for Ireland to get them now as opposed to in round four or five, I guess.
4: Yeah, usually, yeah. The French team probably start off, or wouldn't start as well as they, they tend to finish in the... Six Nations, because you have so many players coming from so many different clubs. And now with COVID and stuff, there's even more disruptions. So when France tend to get their rhythm, you know, game four or five, whatever of the tournament there, then they're firing in all cylinders. So I suppose getting them in the second game after, you know, a not so convincing performance over uh, Italy is, you know, it only bodes well for for us, I suppose, heading over there. So, um, yeah, I think we're firing quite well. We weren't perfect either last week against Wales, but... You know, it was a pretty one-sided game against uh, an international or a Welsh team. That even if the clubs aren't going well, the the national side seems to to generally gel. So, um, I think uh, we can improve on last week and get a W over in Paris.
1: And I know you only played with him for half a season, but Johnny mentioned Galfiku. Mm. He is the defensive leader of this France team under Sean Edwards. Just give us an insight into how good he is and, and defensively, if you are Johnny Sexton, how are you looking to exploit this French side in, in defence?
4: Depends where he's playing, like 12 or 13, I suppose. He's turned into a really, really good 13 or 12, sorry. Um, when he has Verme outside him, you know, he he, he feels really comfortable um, having that one inside, one outside. And um, his lateral movement's really good, I suppose, I don't know what I, I don't see many weaknesses. He wouldn't be a hugely like he wouldn't be a huge like chop tackler, I suppose. You could probably throw like a few hit runners down his channel, like with a bit of deception out the back. Um, but he he gives that half a yard of depth and defense, you know, he won't come all the way, He'd give himself that extra half second to make a decision. So it's really hard to catch him out. I've never really seen him bust and um, clean through the middle on any occasion training or games. Um, yeah, I I don't know where to pick a hole and find a weakness there. I suppose it's just the tempo thing, as I was saying, with Ireland, You know, keep a high tempo on the game, make them have to make lots of decisions, and and just tire them out really, and hope that it's Gail and Uno Antonio inside them on a phase play move, and you, you're able to catch them somehow. But um, yeah, they're 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 a well uh, well drilled team, and their midfield and Gail as a defensive leader is. Is um, It's a tough defence to break down.
3: I guess what your, your gut feel is that if Ireland can control possession, because you talked about the purple patch of defending big athletes, defending against Aldridge defending against Marchand, it's hard and it's wearing, and that purple patch is inevitable. But if Ireland can control tempo in the game and control possession and force France to defend, they'll be in it come the end. Would that kind of be generally how you see this game going?
4: Yeah, I, I reckon so. And, and starting the game really well, that first 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes, um, I know it's a cliche. You start the game well, but it's, it's a lot of times where, like, French rugby in general, where the first ten or fifteen minutes they kind of just sit back and feel their way into the game, and and then, you know, eye up their opponents. I see, but or you you, you think, but for opposition, it, like like, there's been so many examples where I've been playing the games where I felt like that and played against national French national team or whatever, but. I think the first twenty will be vital. Get a, a score on the board. Take their punches because they will come. They'll definitely get a purple patch, and the offloading will be going, and and the crowd will be going. So um, yeah, come then the last twenty of the game. You just you, you you fancy you're holding on to a lead, or you know not not a only a couple of points off them, I suppose. But I think this French team is very beatable. It's just um, how well we play and how well we manage their purple patches. I think will will be very very important.
1: And if the Irish boys do. The business as you think they're going to have you given them any tips about where to go in Paris afterwards and can you share them with us
4: (laughs) I have plenty of tips on where to go um I don't think they'll be allowed though that's the only thing (laughs) there's plenty of places I actually really enjoy going down the river down the Seine. there's lots of cool boats there with nice views of the Eiffel Tower I'd probably recommend them to go down there
1: Well, there we go. If anyone sees Johnny Sexton on a boat sailing down the river in Paris on Sunday morning. Mm,
4: I I doubt he would be (laughs) now. He'd be too much of a nerd.
1: I've heard he's got a pretty impressive wine cellar, hasn't he, Johnny?
4: I actually don't know. I haven't been to his house. He lives in a gated community, I think, up in Dublin. It's It's not easy access into his house. But yeah, I don't know. He likes a tipple, I suppose, but he wouldn't be as much crack as Finn, I suppose, when it comes to beer drinking.
1: If Ireland do win, as you're predicting that they will, is the Grand Slam on?
4: I, I it will be. <laughs> it, it's hard to say because they still have to go away to England, isn't it? England away as well, which is very, very tough game. And then you never know. Scotland might still be in it come the last round, and they'd be underdogs coming to Dublin. And Finn, if you write him off, then that's that's trouble too. You know that man, as just like Dupont, can can win a game on his own. And it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 30 points up, like England found out a few years back, he can do anything. So, um, yeah, I, I think it would be a bit early to say for the slam if they win this week, but they'll certainly be within a, a really good show of it. So, yeah, fingers crossed we get the job done this weekend and then on
3: to the next. So more importantly, let's get back to you. We mentioned you're <laughs> 31. The next time the Irish squad's announced you're going to be involved, you're going to be playing, you're going to make the next World Cup. After that, are you coming back to France to finish?
4: <laughs> that sounds good yeah yeah if I'm still going then after, after the next one yeah yeah you never know you never know it'd be hard to go to another club now other than Racing, with my love for that place and everybody over there involved in the club so um, we will have to see but yeah I love being at home I love being with my family and and playing in the red jersey and playing in Thorman Park. I, I get a bit excited these days when, when I see a full crowd in Thorman Park, it's incredibly special. So I've missed it a lot and um I'm only I've only put my foot back in the door. So I won't say I'm going anywhere again. Um, I'm happy to be here
1: anyway. Well, thanks so much for coming on and um, sharing your insight into both teams with us. And we will clip up your analysis of Gail Fico and send it to Johnny Sexton.
3: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks a million, lads. Before you go, France Mm -hmm. by how many? Ireland by how many? Who's winning? Did you say eight?
4: Ireland by eight. I'll go Ireland by eight, yeah.
3: Wales, Scotland, give us your prediction there. Um, Scotland by 13. And Italy, England. Italy by 34. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> you know I can say it. <laughs>
1: Benji's not here and you've done his predictions for him that's brilliant he'll be um, he'll be news. miles behind next week after that <laughs> good luck getting a few more games under your belt and then um, fingers crossed Andy Fowles on the phone to you very soon thanks a million lads well let's have a quick word on the one game from round one of the Six Nations that we haven't really talked about yet then and I did say earlier I'd let you talk about the Calcutta Cup so go on then Johnny what did you make of it um It was a really, really
3: strange game. Um, And I think in the stadium, it was extremely quiet. It was almost eerie. Um, It was strange for Scottish supporters because there was complete dominance in territory and possession by England, but then just a failure to capitalise on any of it. Where you flip that with Scotland, they were in England's 22 for seven seconds in the entirety of the first half. Um, And three times, I think, in, in in the fir- in the in the first half, they were in England's half of the field. So like, there's not many games that you will win in that manner, that way. But the last 10, 15, 20 minutes were just error after error for England and shooting themselves in both feet time and time after again, just with poor game management. It allowed us little opportunities to sneak in and win the game. So uh, crazily, look back over 35 years, I think there's almost been 30 wins for England. It's been one-way traffic, complete domination. And so it's an incredibly special and precious moment for Scottish rugby fans because that hasn't happened for my entire generation of mates and and family and friends that have watched rugby for Scottish rugby for 15 years. So we'll take it. We know it's not going to last forever. We've got a little group of players that are capable of conjuring some magic, Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg, um, and some competitive boys up front with a little bit of depth. But then even more generally, I, I did all the corporate stuff before with, you know, Lawrence Delalio, Flatman, Tyndall, Simon Shaw, and none of them are sure this England side. It's really bizarre. Like you take Courtney Laws away, you take Manu Tulagi away, and it just looked a little bit toothless. And for the life of me, I will never understand why they kept kicking the ball away when Scott ran under the cosh. If they just held on to ball, they'd probably have buried us. I will never understand why when a hooker goes off, they don't just call a bomb, chuck it over the back, and get rid of it I will never understand why they didn't stick an extra man into a scrum and they then concede a penalty under their sticks and lose the game but again these little bits of game management that come with big moments and big players for whatever reason this weekend England mentally exploded and Scotland were able to capitalise and sneak almost a smash and grab win Um, but it was a great night afterwards there was a lot of Guinness consumed and the Scottish Rugby public
1: enjoyed it You don't understand any of those things and as a Scot Quite frankly, you don't care either. No,
3: (laughs) no, but we'll absolutely take it. And yeah, it was magic, a magic. The last 15 minutes was bananas in the stand. Again, just one of those rugby moments and environments that you're just lucky to be there and be part of it. And that was it. Like, as I mentioned, seeing Finn swagger out after the game with the boom box, you know, dancing by himself, having the time of his life. It's nice for fans, but I'm even happier for the playing group. But like when I played, it was tough grass. Like we didn't win many games and it was a tough place to be sometimes. So I'm really chuffed for them that they're enjoying their rugby. They're winning together as a group, enjoying each other's company and winning for their country. There's no better feeling.
1: Speaking of the Calcutta Cup, will that be your meter moment of the week, Johnny?
3: No. That'd be too easy, mate. And it's a French rugby podcast. And as much as that was a sneaky little win, there were other bits from the weekend that were exceptional. Ireland's performance in general, the way they ran the ball was very, very good to watch. I absolutely love watching that. But the metre moment of the weekend for me in the first round was the hat trick for Gabin Villiers. And for a man who is a former scrum half at Rouen in Federal 1, 2 or 3, who couldn't pass, who couldn't kick and was shunted out, Uh, went through the sevens programme. Now he looks really the complete package, absolutely rapid, dangerous, really good over ball and always seems to be in the right place at the right time to finish tries off, as was Van Sinclair. So the fact that's the first hat-trick that a Frenchman has scored since Van Sinclair in 2008 against Ireland is massive, and he took them in all different ways. Team breakout plays from Moll, finishing off again, a good two-on-one, the Jaminé down. The open side, Aldritt set another one up, a decent pick-and-go offload. He's on the end of that one as well, and the last play of the game, put in the corner by Fana. So no, an exceptional hat-trick, and again, he's just impressive. Every time you watch him play, Toulon, France, um, the man's on fire. So the metre moment of the weekend for round one was a hat-trick for Gabin Villiers.
1: That was Johnny's Meter moment of the week. And Meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer. They've made over 9 million cooks better with their revolutionary app as well. So it's no surprise their users are growing rapidly every day. If you've ever said your pork or turkey's dry, then Meter is for you. And you can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan. Enter a whole new world of cooking and join the Meterverse at meter.com. And just use the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout for 10% off any full price item as well. Okay, so obviously it's massively overshadowed by the Six Nations this week, but we should touch on a few things in the top 14 before we go, because yep. there were some interesting talking points, Johnny. What yep. on earth happened at the end of Biarritz-La Rochelle?
3: It was amazing. I, I was <laughs> I was doing that game for Premier Sports as well. And so Biarritz are going in the third minute of injury time for a mall pushover tried. They win the mall. And for some reason, a ball either gets a second ball either gets kicked or punted straight over the advertising boards and Kerr Barlow picks up again sneaky little scrum half so De Ross has broken off the back of the mall for B-Ritz. he's dived over in the corner but Kerr Barlow it was his like 100th game for La Rochelle as well with all the experience in the world has decided to go and drop on the second ball and prove a point to the referee there's two balls on the pitch therefore it needs to be stopped and so there's all sorts of memes flying around Bieritz now because there's a massive clash between the president and the mayor between funding and changing the stadium that the the mayor's actually just recently cut off the hot water to the stadium and told them they have to start paying their bills <laughs> And the hot water. There's all sort of memes that it's the mayor of Biarritz that's kicked the ball onto the pitch to try and screw over B-Ritz. Um There was other memes that was Roran O'Gara that kicked it from the top deck um, to try and save his team but it was absolute mayhem. They went over, they dotted the ball down, the referee had to bring it back. And and luckily, their big second row, who actually was sensational all game, Joshua Tyrell, he was a monster, like took all the line-up ball, carried extremely well, off second, third phase, off the reset scrum to restart the game, scored. So they got an extra time win, and they fought to come back for something like 15 points down to win in the third, fourth minute of extra time. And that's a massive win for Burrits because they are rock bottom. That takes them above Toulon. Toulon incredibly are now 14th in the top 14, but a crazy, crazy moment of French rugby, <laughs> it was just, it was mental to watch it live and just watch it unfold. And then the memes and everything that's happened on social media since then as well have been hilarious. So a crazy moment, but ultimately a massive win for Biarritz.
1: You mentioned Toulon rock bottom after their defeat at home to cast. Yeah, How bad are things there at the moment? Shocking.
3: And you've even got former players like Bakke's, both are coming out on social media and saying, look, this, this just wouldn't have happened when. And and to be fair to Toulon, there's a change in the guard. There's no longer the Barbarians team, 315s deep, that Bakke's played for. It's quite easy to say it wasn't like that, but the team wasn't like that. The budget wasn't like that. When he was there now that they're in a team in transition they've got a few older heads a few guys that are well paid but they've got an underbelly of youth and inexperience and maybe second rate some of them pros so it's difficult time for toulon fans cast played extremely well benjamin argentinian kicked everything dropping goals and um, the wily little standoff that he is former teammate and he absolutely loved it but it's difficult for toulon because the senior players have to take it by the scruff of the neck and, and change it themselves because Frank Azema's not going to do it. He's not going to, he's not got a magic potion or recipe that's going to change something overnight, but they have to dig deeper and they just don't look happy on the field together. They don't quite look settled. And really, it's difficult. They've got two games in hand, but they're not easy games. They've got big teams to play against. So it doesn't get easier for them and it is really difficult down at the bottom because when that pressure comes on, and your home crowd gets on top of you as they do at Toulon, they turn very, very quickly. It's not easy.
1: And obviously we know they're missing their internationals, but still, Toulouse losing 36-13 at Perpignan, that's a shock.
3: It is a shock, but again, Perpignan are fighting for their lives. They've got a team that's settled. They haven't lost many people with injuries or international breaks. And Toulouse two seasons ago had the depth to lose everyone during these double weekends and be okay, but they don't have that anymore. And again, another team that you take five or six key men out now and they look a little bit a shell of themselves and they look way less confident. And that's become apparent over the past maybe four, five, six weekends of rugby in top 14. So it's the manner. It's the fact that it's 36 points you're conceding. You're losing these physical battles and you're getting dominated by Perpignan, who you just wouldn't expect it. But again, another massive result for a team down the wrong end of the table. And it makes it more interesting long run. It's good for Toulouse to to lose away from home. You don't want to see them dominate and win absolutely everything. And they're going to have to find their feet again and find different ways to win and evolve and learn as a coaching group. They've been very vocal in the press about just the content of what they're seeing is really worrying them and they have to fix it, they have to change. So I agree they're going to have to do something that when these big first rung of players are away from home, they've got an underbelly of kids that come from the academy, second choice people, foreigners. And, you know, they've got, they've got some serious hardy French, Frenchies that have been there for a long time that are incredible rugby players. And again, you need them to stand up and win these tight games, these tight battles that are going to come the end of the season count massively.
1: And we chatted last week about Pierre Mignoni maybe leaving Leon at the end of the season. And it's been announced since then that he is. And Xavier Garbajosa, who doesn't feel like that long ago, we were discussing leaving Montpellier under a bit of a cloud. yeah, He's going to be the man there at the end of the season. So what do you make of that?
3: It's incredible how it works. It really is the sort of revolving door of whether it's personalities or people have a certain relationship with presidents, but well, I do find it incredible when you look at what Pierre Mignoni has done with that club, uh, the backroom staff that he has, and I'd imagine he'd be taking wherever he's going, he'll be taking them with him. Guys like Kendrick Lynn, the backs coach, who does a fantastic job as well. But Xavier also taking the top job at Lyon is a big job, a really big job, and I, I'm just not sure how I see that going. Pierre Mignoni again, where he's decided to go, he has muted that it's between Paris and Toulon but you've got to think he has multiple businesses based in Toulon his family's all there he was born there and Toulon need a change but if he goes there and the budgets don't change it's a really difficult project to get your teeth into when he, when he's had the standards of Toulon and Leon in the past with big budgets and being able to splash a little bit and have a certain quality of player Toulon's now a different project so it's gonna be really interesting where he announces he's heading in the next few weeks um but yeah equally uh, very interesting that Garbajosa is the new big boss at Lyon. I'll be really intrigued to see how that goes. And My gut says Mignoni's going to end up at Toulon but it's going to be a massive job for him. Absolutely huge because it is not the same club that it was five, six years ago.
1: He's going to end up at Toulon with Frank Azema or another change?
3: I don't know. I don't know but he's a homeboy and you've got to think that's the only thing pulling him. Unless there's all the money in the world in Paris, I don't know but Everybody here is saying, everyone in, in French rugby is saying that it's Toulon he, he wants to head home and be near to his, his businesses. But I, I don't know how that would work in conjunction with or as a director of rugby. I don't know what the role would be, but it's not going to be easy. Toulon is not an easy place to be at at the moment. It is a club in difficulty.
1: We will wait and see on that one. Right. It's time to get your predictions in for round two of the Six Nations now, Johnny. We heard Simon Zebos earlier on. The Guinness Pint predictor from Match Pint is back and it's the same tried and tested format where all you have to do is pick the winner of each game and how many they'll win by and you can compete against johnny and benji as well as your mates to prove you know more than them. Just remember to enter our league with the code Rugby once you've downloaded the Match Pint app. And it definitely isn't too late to join in. More than 40,000 pints of Guinness were won in round one, and it'll be more of the same in round two this weekend. So check it out, and you can claim your free pints in one of over 3,500 pubs as well. So it's as easy as that. Do you know how you got on in round one, Johnny? Um, I'm going to say not bad. Well, I can tell you, you are second and third in the Guinness Legends League behind only Sean O'Brien. Okay. We'll take that. However, you're behind Benji. You're third, he's second. We'll take that.
3: We're a (laughs) teammate. We've got two of us on the podium. That's what matters.
1: That's the spirit. Well, let's move on to round two then. A chance for you to catch up. Italy, England. What's happening?
3: England? Uh, will find themselves in round two because they weren't themselves at all in round one, but they have got way too much quality and way too much pace, way too much organisation and detail. I think they will swat aside Italy. As much as Italy were great, the first half in Paris, England are going to have way too much for them. I am going to go England by 35.
1: The week after a big win, Scotland away in Wales.
3: Look, this this isn't the same Welsh side. Um, let's be honest. They are shorn... By injuries, I actually really enjoyed the performance of Basham, the back row. I thought I thought he was exceptional I, I, again when you have injuries you you pick up people that you haven't seen too much in um, regional rugby and uh, he was outstanding. I think hopefully he'll get more game time but like they were 29 nil down after 75 minutes like that is utter domination. I can't remember the last time I saw that from a Welsh outfit and although Scotland weren't exceptional in everything they did they took their chances when they needed to. And I think they've got the capability of stepping up their performance this weekend and going down to Wales. They hadn't won down there since 2002. They won last year in Linethley at Empty Stadium. Going to Principality is a different kettle of fish. But again, we talked to Z there. He was talking about the importance of starting well in Paris. It's the exact same for Scotland down in Cardiff. If they can start well and build a little lead, and stay ahead of this Welsh side who will be desperate to make amends and put on a show in front of their home fans. I think Scotland can nick a win. Um, I'm going to go Scotland by seven.
1: And then the big one, France-Ireland.
3: I think it will be really tight. And again, we got into a bit the nuts and the bolts on how this game is going to go. I think if, if Ireland managed to control that possession and run France ragged, it could be very difficult for them. But I think... Sean Edwards has done too much and they've come too far defensively to let themselves be bullied. I think physically they've got too much. And if they catch Ireland on the gain line, they're very capable of smashing them and turning ball over. And once they shift that ball away, they've got X factor and pace. And that being said, when they have the ball as well, they're a real handful. But Ireland are very capable defense. Again, very finely balanced game. So. I, I just think when you look back to that All Blacks game, how they started and they blew them away, I don't think they'll be able to do that to Ireland because they're so settled and so good on the ball. But I think there'll be a few occasions where they get toppled. France have a few chances. I think France have got enough to, to do this and win at home. So I'm going to go France by four.
1: Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Simon Zeebo for joining us as well. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can as well. Check us out on Rugby Pass as well as on YouTube, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny.
3: Cheers, Tim. Hi,
1: I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.